Welcome back to episode nine of the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So the past few weeks have been really, really interesting. Um, A lot of this has taken place within the broad market. We saw GameStop and other stocks reach record highs, leading to halting and trading of of these stocks. Um, Much attention has been placed on that development over the past couple of weeks. So a lot of focus has been placed around Robinhood. Um, so that's definitely something to check out if you haven't, haven't heard of that yet, but I'm sure people are here to talk, tired of hearing people talk about it. So I'll go ahead and just go in, into the energy market, which is the purpose of this podcast. So looking at WTI over the past two weeks, we saw prices settle to around $56 a barrel. And this reflects a jump of around $4 from our, our last episode. And quite frankly, reflects some growing optimism surrounding the supply and demand of oil. There's a couple of factors driving the, uh, this development. The, the first one and probably the biggest one has been OPEC. So OPEC has been very accommodating uh, over the past few months and, and will likely continue to into the future. They've held back 7.2 million barrels per day in production in January and will hold back an additional 8.2 million barrels, barrels per day in February and March. So one thing to note here is that OPEC isn't doing this out of the kindness of their own heart. They are doing this to support oil prices by reducing production and in effect holding back supply from the market, hopefully reducing the supply side of the equation to hopefully increase the price of oil. But going forward into 2021 and beyond, it'll be interesting to see how accommodating OPEC will be with holding back the supply of oil um, in, towards the end and after the pandemic. So currently they're, this accommodation has elevated prices and combining that with a few other factors that I'll touch on in a second has has led to this this rise to around $56 a barrel. So because the U.S. oil industry is not state run, there's no government body telling them that they can they need to hold back or, or produce oil or where they can drill and that sort of thing. It's a very fraction fractionated market. So. This has led to U.S. oil producers slowly increasing production. We saw Baker Hughes reported a rig count increase of eight from the prior week for the weekend of February 5th, 2021. And rig counts, in effect, just reflect the number of rigs producing oil in the country. So with that increase, total oil rig counts in the U.S. is about half of what it was a year ago. So so quite quite a difference there. But this eight rig count increase is still significant. Rolling into this year, it will continue to be pretty imperative that U.S. producers don't respond to this this higher oil price of $56 a barrel with sort of opening the floodgates uh, and producing as much oil as possible um, into the market. So we have seen a lot of restraint by these oil companies over the past few months, um, but it'll be important for them to continue to do so. And I think they will. I think they will. I think they've I think they've learn their lesson from kind of seeing investors being tired of oil companies burning through cash. And I think there'll be a lot more focus on return to shareholders going forward. Um, and I think that because of that, we'll see consolidation within the space and a lot of creativity by oil companies um, trying to unlock value within the space. I think gone are the days where oil companies just drill at all costs. They have to get very, very, um, you know, cash flow sensitive and be really responsible in that sense. So an example of this 
creativity resurging in the space is we saw a news break that Exxon and Chevron were discussing a merger this past weekend. This would be the biggest corporate merger ever, <laughs> but it, it'll probably never happen just considering antitrust concerns coming out of DC. But the point of that being is that it's pointing towards oil companies looking for ways to survive and thrive coming out of the pandemic. So it's certainly possible that that could happen. I think it's pretty unlikely, but that'll be something to definitely check out. So Anyways, back to looking at the price of WTI, OPEC restrict, restricting the supply is considered a good thing and will likely continue, continue to see drawdowns in crude inventories rolling over the next, into the next few months and hopefully the next six months or so. So for those that don't know, crude inventories is the amount of unrefined, unrefined petroleum um, that is in inventory in the U.S., whether it's like storage tankers or pipelines or, or, or whatever. Um, it's typically thought of as an indicator of where supply is at and if we might and if we might possibly see an oil glut oil glut putting downward pressure on oil prices. So if inventories rise by a bunch, but because of the pandemic we haven't seen demand come back, that's not a good thing for, for oil prices. So um, for the week ended January 29th, 2021, the uh, crude inventories in the US declined by a million barrels from the prior week. So this is definitely a good thing. It's looking at the bigger picture though, total crude inventories are at an elevated 4% above the five year average from the same period last year before the pandemic really crushed demand. So this is kind of a mixed bag of, of, of positive, but still 4% above last year's level before we really saw the pandemic hit the world and especially the US. So it continues to remain really important to look at these inventories to see them come down in the future. So putting all of these stats and figures aside, oil prices and really the industry as a whole remain really pinned on the pandemic and how vaccine and the vaccine rollout and return to normal happens. We've seen the, the rollout of these vaccines at a slower than expected pace, but the consensus is that this will pick up, pick up steam. So, you know, I would encourage listeners to check out articles of sort of rhetoric, rhetoric coming out of the Biden administration of, of plans to really increase the, the vaccine rollout. So regarding different variants coming out of South Africa and Europe, I've seen mixed mixed signals of, of vaccines uh, effectiveness against it. Some companies say it is, some companies say it's not. There's different studies. It's, it's kind of confusing. So whichever one of these vaccines is most effective against it, whether it's Moderna or Johnson & Johnson or, or Pfizer, whatever it is, it's not really that important that that they, that they it's like a couple percent more effective than the other one. I know this kind of sounds like a stretch, but the most important thing is to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible with whatever we have. Let's <laughs> just get people vaccinated because viruses do, like the flu, change all the time. So we just have to start getting people vaccinated and that's just that's just the fact of the matter and until that happens there will be much uncertainty with where wti or, or the industry as a whole could be going so going forward this is the biggest development and, and one to focus on uh, when thinking about the industry this year and beyond as well as opec but this is definitely definitely a big one so next i wanted to take a look at Merger and acquisition activity, M&A for short, over the course of this past year, 2020. So financially, oil companies got beat down <laughs> during the past year. And, you know, that's expected. Like oil demand was was not great. And so it's, it's expected that companies that main focus is is producing and supplying oil would have gotten would have would have been pretty hurt financially. So, for example, Exxon 
Chevron and BP all reported losses for the full year 2020. And for some of these companies, it was their first yearly loss ever, such as Exxon did. And these are old companies. Exxon's like a, a descendant from John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil. So like that's a long time. Um, so that, that was not necessarily a good thing. So when industries as a whole and especially industries get in, energy industry gets hit, got hit pretty hard. Companies will want to merge with each other to unlock synergies, such as reducing the cost of supply of oil or, or being able to cut uh, redundant staff and that sort of thing. And we started to kind of see this take place over 2020 as oil companies and industry, energy industry as a whole get ready for a widely expected resurgent demand for oil after the pandemic. The consensus on how much demand will come back, like how much have consumer patterns changed where they maybe won't consume as much, but not needling where where that where that where that's gonna lie, I think that companies are getting ready to see whatever demand will come back and it'll be pretty strong. So this is exactly what we saw um rolling into the second half of twenty twenty. Cause I think pandemic hit, you know, oil prices, oil features touched negative territory in April. So it was kind of like a liability management phase there. And then rolling into the second half is like, okay. Let's figure out how we're going to be better and stronger after this. So a few no- notable deals pertaining to that time period uh, were ConocoPhillips and Contra, Chevron and Noble, Pioneer and Parks. So there's 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 many more, but so I would definitely go check that check out those. But um, looking at an article that I found pertaining to this on OilPrice.com, it discussed how merger and acquisition activity has been heating up within the space. And according to this article, the U.S. and Canada accounted for 84% of upstream deals in the in the world in the fourth quarter of 2020. So this equates to around $93 billion in, in total total deal volume, which is a pretty hefty, hefty price tag. So the upstream sector, subsector comprises of oil and gas exploration and production companies, so the companies that like go and produce and pump the oil and, and sell it to the mainstream companies. Um, and many of these deals that, that took place were all stock transactions. So they just do some sort of some sort of uh, stock swap for a percentage of, of the other company's shares. I'm not going to get into details of that. But the important thing there is that we saw oil companies conserve cash by going the all stock transaction transaction route. So conserving cash is pretty important right now. Like I touched on earlier, all three of those companies reported full year losses. So cash is king right now. And this is them engaging in these kind of kinds of responsible deals in these all stock transactions point to some restraint by oil companies. So I expect this kind of deal activity to continue into 2021 as we get ready for some hopefully explosive growth in the energy sector as a whole. So that's all I have for this episode of the Energy Today podcast. All of the links to the reference articles will be in the show notes as well as a few others I would encourage listeners to go check out. So as always, I'm your host, Jackson Roost, and have a great day.